Hello? Hey, I have a, I have a, a, a special surprise, but I just screwed it up. Hold on. <sighs> I don't know what to do. It's dead air. Just wait. Just wait. Tell jokes. Okay. Um, uh, my kid told me a joke the other day. I can't remember what it was. It was like a, it was something about a tomato. Uh, I think it was from the movie Pulp Fiction. Um, it, hey. But, hey. Hey, uh, special guest, are you there? Hey, special guest, are you there? I'm here. Okay, Ben, we have a special guest today. I want a treat. It's our special guest. <laughs> Hi, Professor Chapman. Hi, Max. So, so when I told you that I had something special planned, you your response was, "I want a treat," which makes me think, Ben, that you that you knew what I had planned. I didn't. I didn't know what you had planned. I just I just assumed that anytime there's something special, that it's going to be a treat for me, and I I, I just wanted one. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what was up. I just knew that that you had you had a special. You, I, I was I was all prepared for um, a variety of things, and I didn't know you we were having a special guest. This is amazing. Well, and I, I saw you adding stuff to the Dropbox, and I, I thought about saying, well, wait a minute, don't put anything in the Dropbox because we have something that's probably going to take up the whole time. So, so Max, Max has been studiously and carefully preparing a very long list of questions for oh, us. I love it. <laughs> I, that's what he told me anyway. Uh, Professor Chapman, when you go to a birthday party, do you go to birthday parties? I've, yeah, I've been to birthday parties. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if microbiologists went to birthday parties. When you go to a birthday party, do you, if it's your cake, do you blow the candles out on the cake? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm definitely gonna. And I mean, it's my cake, right? So but would I'm you eat... eat the cake? Would you eat the cake if I blew the candles out on the cake? I probably would. I think it's pretty. Uh, I think it's pretty low risk. And also, I mean, it's cake, right? Like it, it, we all have to make these uh, risk uh, benefit decisions, and cake's a pretty good benefit. Oh, I see. I thought you were saying cake had some sort of antimicrobial oh. properties that I wasn't aware of that made it immune to someone just hawking a loogie all over it and then serving it to their guests. Yeah, I, I mean, I have uh, I think I've avoided cake in uh, a, a certain kid uh, situations because, uh, you know, I've got these my, I have two like dirty little children myself and um, they uh, they have friends that are also equally as dirty and I will sometimes avoid it, but not from a food safety standpoint. It's because I don't want to eat loogie. <laughs> just, <laughs> so so what you're saying it's like it's like a sterile rat hair right? yeah it's, yeah right it's not going to make you sick but who wants to eat a rat hair right right um but i'm you know if, if it's like a like a less a less dirty type of person and they're going to blow out some candles i'm probably going to eat the cake because i like i really like cake uh, Professor Chapman, I asked Dr. Don um, when he was <laughs> the last time we chatted, I said, what are some things that because of your professional knowledge that you that, that, that you either that maybe like some foods that you abstain from or it could go the other way of an extra thing that you do because you, you know about a situation that maybe the general public doesn't know about. And I, I believe Dr. Don said he does not eat raw oysters. Yeah. And I, and I will say knowing that did not stop me from eating raw oysters, but it stopped me from enjoying them when I when I eat them. <laughs> Now, what are some things that you don't do or, you know, or, or what are those little things that you have in your life that you think most people might not be aware of? All right. So I, I don't eat raw oysters. And those ones, it, it's kind of one of these things where I don't think I really like them anyway. And I've had them a few times since being in the uh, world of food safety. And then I have not enjoyed it. And then I did a I – I was like part of a – 
uh, like a, a court case where someone uh, died from eating raw oysters, and then I've been totally off it like since then because I read all these medical reports. They uh, they died they died from the oysters. Yeah, they died from the oysters. <laughs> See, now you're gonna think of me when you eat the raw oysters. You're not gonna enjoy it because of Don, uh, and then you're no. gonna be like, but also I could die. Um, Max, but, Max, food safety is serious. Max, we yeah. we don't joke around. People can die from this stuff. People yeah. die. Um, Were they I don't... frail? Were they already frail? Well, in, they... in as much as you can say. I, I know that it could be a classified. Right, right. They, I, I would say there were underlying issues. Yes. Okay. Um, but uh, but also, yeah. I just so I, I stay away from them. I don't. Don and I differ a little bit on um, sprouts. I don't eat raw sprouts. Um, well, not and, not from not from Jimmy John's. I won't. No, right. Not from Jimmy John's at all. <laughs> um, but I don't. I, I avoid them entirely because you just like incubate. If there is some bacteria that's there in the seed. The way that you grow uh, sprouts is just going to incubate them, and it's going to grow uncontrollably, and I can't do anything about it as as a consumer. Uh, other than, I mean, there, if I knew where the seeds were coming from, and that's where I just don't, I just don't care enough to to investigate that, so I just avoid them. Um, I I'm like uh, when it comes to restaurant inspections. I, when my kids were little, I used to actually go to websites like here in my county. I can go and look at historical inspection results, and I would choose restaurants based on that. If my kids were eating, as they get older, like we are, their immune system's better. We don't do as much of that, but I do. I do like. I, I we we have grades that are posted at every restaurant, and I do look at them. Um, and if it's something that's particularly low, I choose different foods. Like, and th- this is like the weird food safety nerd. I'll eat more fried foods at a restaurant that has a poor inspection g- grade compared to like a salad or something that's prepared that someone might have, like a sandwich where someone's hands might bu- might be on it. Um, and that's I don't know how realistic i am at protecting myself but that's that's one of the things that I, that i do um so, well, so I, you're so you trade off the food safety risk for eventual health risks from right. fried foods yes yes absolutely <laughs> <laughs> i will be i will be a, a fat old man but not but not but, with but alive. not pooping all you know, the time no one, no, one, no one's getting listeria at mcdonald's Right. No one's getting listed at McDonald's. McDonald's has got like this great history of uh, uh, not having a whole lot of outbreaks. Um, uh, I haven't. Um, and Don and I have we've talked about this recently. Um, I don't think either of us have really um, revisited Chipotle since their um, uh, incidents. In oh, Ben, ben I have a Chipotle update. though. Oh, you got a Chipotle Chip- Chip- well, breaking news. So, you know, the the, uh, the so food, the, the food Chipotle hired somebody to direct their food safety who was from academia from Kansas State. And that's neither here nor there. But he has now stepped down and they have a new food safety person and their food safety person, Ben, they reached out to me on LinkedIn Ooh. and and they said, hey, you know, like, you know, link, link, link in, right? Like whatever. So and LinkedIn is a, is a is a garbage fire, but whatever. It's like, <laughs> OK, the, the, the vice president of food safety from Chipotle uh, wants to, you know, be my contact on LinkedIn. So I'll do that. And then she made we had a little, uh, you know, uh, exchange in the LinkedIn messenger thing. And then she said, and and maybe now that we're friends on LinkedIn, you'll talk, you'll stop talking smack about us on Twitter. And I'm like, oops, you know, I was listening that. Um, so but I have to say so. So my and that her reaching out to me um, and this is and Ben, this is more your your wheelhouse than mine. But her reaching out to me 
it gave me a different feeling about food safety at Chipotle. And I think I think I'm ready to go back after having been resistant. I think I'm ready to go back. Should we do we should maybe go on location? Should we do a live? <laughs> let's go let's go eat. You and I will go eat at Chipotle. Oh, it's and like a we'll very ask... it's like a very special stunt episode where you guys <laughs> yeah. are like eating a, a lettuce bowl at Chipotle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. We're eating lettuce bowls and and just like making snide uh, food safety comments and asking the person who works there about all you know how how often do you wash your hands? Now um, I've I've heard you guys talk about Chipotle on the on the show before, and uh, uh, obviously I think the the food safety record speaks for itself to some degree. But like I eat at Chipotle all the time, and my my justification is I mean they're doing more fresh and unprocessed food at a higher volume than almost any other food chain. So just you're, they're just rolling the dice more often and they're going to get more unlucky than everyone else. But it's not necessarily like I, f- I don't feel like I'm at any particular risk as an individual consumer at Chipotle. Right. Probably. Well, so, I mean, I, I think with with them, um, their historic problems were I don't know if we even can draw a line to exactly what they what they were. So certain things that uh, certain outbreaks that they were linked to had to do with um, employees showing up to work ill and making food. And that's not that's not like just um, a Chipotle thing that happens throughout the entire food service industry. And it has, there's a lot of like you know, historical reasons for it. It's like people don't get paid if they don't show up for work. And um, more than that, and Chipotle actually had a, um, b- before a couple of their outbreaks, they had a policy for paid leave, sick leave, but it wasn't supported on the managerial level because it was there. There's this policy. It's like, yeah, if you are sick, don't come to work, but you have to go find somebody to replace your shift. And that changes the team dynamic within the food service system. And, you know, people are going to just basically say, you're, you're screwing us because you're not showing up for work. And I don't care if you're sick or not. Come on in. All, all that kind of stuff. So that was like one part of their, their issue. Then they had some like supplier issues. And so, Max, to your point of... Um, a lot of high volume fresh fresh food. They they made a, a decision um, soon before a bunch of the outbreaks to um, I, I don't know exactly the number, but you know increase their supplier base by like um, you know ten times or something, and and they did that to source a lot of local. Um, produce, but at the same time, didn't add any resources in their corporate structure to go out to those farms to see if they were implementing things correctly. Mm. And so, and that to me is the, that's like a bad, I don't know. It's like a bad food safety choice, right? Like, so I'm, I'm all about local production. I'm all about, you know, looking at, at the supply chain and what can we do for sustainability? But I also want to make sure that the people that are responsible to check to make sure everything's going right that they've got the right resources or enough resources to do it and then after the outbreaks what really kind of pissed me off about the the whole thing was their their corporate like their ceo and coo um spent a bunch of time talking to investors about how bad cdc was in their investigations and really just didn't understand how like how an outbreak works and that they were being singled out. And then they came out with a bunch of things that were like, here's how we're going to change food safety, but none of it was really science-based. So all of that to me is like part of my decision. Like it's not just a one-off, like I I can forgive um, a company that has an outbreak and, or multiple outbreaks even and be like, Oh damn, we, we really screwed up. So let's, how do how are we going to fix it? And I, I never really got the sense um, at least in the last like three years that, that they really figured that out. And so that's, that's one for me that, that I just, I just haven't been happy on, on their response. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep eating there, but I won't enjoy it. 
Yeah, okay. And then no, think- Max, no, Max, no, no. Just enjoy it, Max. It's okay. Um, It'll all every, be fine. Every Professor- time you eat a burrito, I want you to think of me, Max. I, I believe me, I already do. I already do. Uh, Professor Chapman, I ate uh, the other day. I was cooking, and I have uh, gotten these um, resealable jars of uh, tomato paste. You know how tomato? Do you guys cook with tomato paste? I do. Yeah, and it's yes. a pain in the ass, right? Because you got, yes, you like, always yeah. have to open a yep. tin, and it's way too much, and then you can't really, you know, I'll put it in Tupperware or something. But anyway, I found these like really cool organic uh, glass resealable, you know, almost like a baby food jar of uh, tomato paste. And I was cooking with it, and about halfway through cooking with it, I was like looking at the label, and I realized that it's clearly said eat this within 10 days of opening and it was like a month after opening like i was way out of that 10 day window now i didn't get sick and so my question is when people say eat within some days of opening i I already know that sometimes that's because it will taste it will taste different you know it's not optimal for taste and sometimes it's because you'll get sick and sometimes i guess it's probably both how do you know um it kind of depends on the food, and something like tomato paste has a lot of acid in it. It's got a really low pH, and um, the bacteria that make us sick won't grow in that environment. So something like that, I look at like uh, condiments. You know, I like I have in my in my refrigerator. I bet you I have like twelve different types of brown mustards that I've acquired over the years. Like someone, I don't know, like I've become the mustard guy that if someone comes over, they're like, here's a mustard. And I've, we never finish it. And I've probably got six years worth of this stuff that's sitting. And I never worry about the safety aspects of that. And I really don't even worry that it's going to spoil because there's so much vinegar and, and it's such so high in acid. Um, where, where something like that becomes um, a problem is if I'm looking at something like fresh, cut melons or would you know and that's a really specific situation but it's one that we've seen outbreaks um associated with cutting up a melon leaving it in the fridge for like six or eight days it doesn't seem spoiled it i mean it, it, i should go back and say it isn't spoiled it, it tastes the same there may be no difference in the in the quality of it but um a bacteria like listeria can grow at refrigeration temperatures and there's not enough acid to reduce the chance that it's going to grow. And so, so that's, it's a really like, is, and the, the, is there a general rule you can give me beyond don't eat old melon? Um, no, don't eat old melon. I think is just the general rule. Uh, no. <laughs> Unfortunately there is not a general rule. And so what, what I've taken to doing max is when people ask me for this is I direct them to, um, a USDA app and or website called Food Keeper. And while, while we were chatting, I just looked up tomato paste. And what they say on tomato paste is it's 27 months uh, if it's stored in the pantry before it's opened, five days if refrigerated after opening, and two to three months if, if stored frozen. But that is obviously conservative. It's it's more so conservative. Took, you're saying I took my life into my own no, hands. No, I basically just jumped out of an airplane without a parachute. <laughs> you were, yes, it's like a whole right, plate it's, of... It's virtually the same thing, Matt. I yeah. could have died. It's virtually the same thing, yes. yes. <laughs> it's like the oysters. Um, <laughs> Professor Chapman, I have another question for you. So let's say I, I have the, this bag tomato paste, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me ask you. Uh, before I even get to that whole scenario, I also cooked the shit out of this tomato. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. Do we curse on this podcast? Oh, yeah, we, yeah, okay. we can. We can, okay. yeah. I cooked it a lot, right? I was stewing it. So it was like high temperature for oh, probably 45 minutes or something like that. Does that do anything? Does that help me in any way? So it kind of depends on what it is we're, we're looking for. For something in tomato paste, it would pro- the stuff that 
we are concerned about isn't going to grow it, because of the acidity and your if the bacterial cells were alive, you're going to cook it. If we were worried about something like a spore, um, the cooking's not going to matter, but the pH, the acidity is going to control for it. So, I mean, yes, it, it does uh, take care of, uh, of some of the, some of the risks where we get like into weird situations are some of the bacterial pathogens that, that we are concerned about. Um, they can survive a cooking process cause they're, they're in these like little shell spores and then they wake up um, once the cooking happens and they're held at the wrong temperature and then, or they can create a toxin that is heat stable. Um, and, um, sort of randomly, I was telling someone about heat stable toxins, um, at my hockey game last night and they said that would be a great band name. Um, heat which, stable toxins. Yeah. The heat stable toxins, which is yeah. true, but, but it's, it's kind of like, it depends on, on the food and what we're, what we're concerned about with tomato paste. I, I can't think of anything that's not going to be controlled by, by the acidity. Um, well, uh, and there. what I'm what I'm wondering with tomato paste, what's the water activity? I've got to think true. that the water activity is incredibly low as well. And so, yeah, I mean, and and that 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 ten days that they recommended, or the five days that's recommended on Food Keeper, is probably a very very conservative number. And and obviously, you know, and 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 here's the thing: if it's if it's in a can, it's been retorted, and so it's got it's essentially sterile. And so, depending upon how you handle it when it's out of the the fridge, like again, let's let's take you know one of Ben's kids. Let's say they, they hock a loogie into the tomato paste, right? And then you leave that tomato paste out. Well, well, loogies have Staphylococcus aureus. Staph uh, can grow even under low water activity environments. Now, how, how low is the tomato paste? We don't know. But let's say for the sake of discussion, it grows. Well, staph is one of those organisms that makes a heat-stable toxin. And so then if you were to use that tomato paste, you would you would even if you after you cooked it, you would still get sick from the toxin. It's, it's like so. the Hulk. If you, the more you cook it, it just gets stronger and stronger. You're angering it, really. <laughs> Yeah, not really, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever had survived had a near death experience that you survived, but I feel like it's really giving me a new, uh, a whole new perspective on life. Here. Like a catharsis today. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I'm really thinking about my life. You know. Yeah. Enjoy um, every okay, sandwich. So, <clears throat> so with the um, uh, what is that? Is that Warren Zevon? Yeah, very good. Very good. Quote? Nice done. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, all right. Let's see. With the tomato paste. So here's here's the real question I have. So. I had a, um, you know, I, I open it up and you know you get a little on your pinky when you're when you're scooping it out of the thing and I just ate it before I knew the 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 um the before I saw the you know the use by date or whatever, and then I figured, you know, I already had a little and if it's gonna make me sick, I'm already sick, so I might as well eat the pasta sauce and then I had you know a whole bowl of it. How, is that true? Is it better? You know, if you have one bad oyster, is it is it do you might as well have the whole bunch or what? What's the logic there? Well, in, does that toxic make sense? Yeah, yeah. It absolutely makes sense. Yeah. And so, in, in toxicology, in toxicology, we have this expression, or they have a, this expression that dose makes the poison. And and to a certain extent, it's true with microorganisms as well, right? If you eat one salmonella, that's less risky than eating. 10 salmonella, which is less risky than 100, than 1,000, et cetera. And so for sure, the more you eat, the higher the probability of illness, again, depending on the nature of the pathogen. Um, but even even a little bit has some risk. So mm. Well, I'll agree to disagree, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're saying don't keep eating. Let me, Max, I've got, I've got some theories on how to make a successful uh, card game. So uh, maybe I'll just tell you about them. And you can and you can tell me that I'm wrong, okay? And I'll agree to disagree with you. Uh, okay, so you're saying so you're saying do keep eating it. 
Sure. If you discover if you discover it's sure. bad. Yeah, like you've already done the damage. That's just my the, logic. Yeah. yeah, I might as well enjoy it now. I, I really think with the tomato paste, the biggest risk, like in all the conservative stuff, it's just gonna mold. Cause I think that it's so and the mold, and this is one of the things that um, that I think gets really confusing because what Don and I really care about is not stuff that like mold is gross and it's like you're, it's like a loogie, but it's not really going to make me sick. It, I might I might throw up. I might puke from it because eating mold is gross, but it's not going to give me like a long term health care situation like the like the Vibrio from the um, from the raw oysters. And, and those five days, I mean, I, I we I cook a lot with tomato paste. And it does mold really quickly, mm-hmm. and I, it has probably has to do with just the way that it's processed and and spores that are surviving the the pasting process or or whatever. So, but but I mean, what could what's the real risk? And I've I have done this when it comes to tomato paste, and I've done it a bunch when it comes to cheese. If I've got a little bit of a mold spot on top of that paste in my little because it's a, like this Tupperware little thing. I'm just going to pick that mold off and and continue to cook with it. I know blew, blew your mind, right? <gasps> You're one of those I go I see, you know, sometimes I go well, do you know the website? It's not this FDA one, but there's another one that's like can I eat it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And a lot of times the advice on that is just cut the mold away and eat it. Yeah. And I'm like who would do that? Me. Well, and it, and in <laughs> fact, in fact, there is so so a couple points about mold. So first of all, um, molds can make toxins, and sometimes those toxins can make us sick. They can either cause cause cancer at low levels or acute responses at, at higher levels. Um, the other thing that I think Ben and I would both agree is Max, if you were to pull that tomato sauce out of your fridge and you were to see mold on it, we would recommend that you. throw it away or perhaps scrape off the mold. Now, with respect to moldy cheese, There actually is a research base on this, and this is some research. And Ben, this is this—I don't know if you know this, but this was some research that was done by Bob Brackett, who, oh. when he was getting his PhD in Elmer Marth's lab. Okay, big, big Brackett, um, yeah, as we call him, Big Bob, <laughs> Big Bob, Bob Brackett. Um, and and so basically, what they quantified was that how if you if you put mold that makes aflatoxin on cheese, how deep does that aflatoxin penetrate? So to figure out the appropriate amount to scrape the cheese. So there is a research base for that, at least with respect to cheese. Now. With tomato paste, it's a little bit different because that's more porous and it's more liquidy, and so the aflatoxin might migrate further. So, but I mean, my advice—if if I opened, if I found some tomato paste in in my fridge that had mold on it, I would just throw it away because I mean, wh- why why take that chance? It's not good. Well, sometimes Don, I need it for my my beef bourguignon. And I don't want to have to go back to that's a, with a French accent. Um, that's good. It's yeah, it's a French Canadian. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but I don't want to go, have to go back to the grocery store uh, to get it. And I and and tomato tomato paste is a pain. I'm I'm with you, Max. It's a pain in the ass because you only need so little of it for the most part, and you're left with a lot of extra. I right. I bought some recently that came in a tube that was better. Like I could recap the tube. Yeah, and I don't yes. know where I got it, but but I'm yeah. now I'm questioning. I've had it probably a two. I have the tubes, and we just have it. And oh man. You go a little toast, a little nice piece of toast, a little bit of butter, some tomato paste on top. Now that's a snack. That sounds good. Right there. Yeah. Very good. Highly recommend it. But now we've had those tubes sitting in our in our fridge for probably months, and those can't be good. I mean, that's got to have a – I should look at that more closely because I bet it has a, uh, a use-by date. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, don't and... spoil the fun, Max. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Professor yeah, Chapman, I, 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 you may have I'm – I'm a little behind. I listen – you know, I'm like six months behind in all my podcasts. So you <laughs> right, guys right. may have already talked about this. But are you guys eating frozen berries? Oh, frozen berries. I, You know, I have a method for frozen berries that goes – that predates uh, even the Food Safety Talk podcast. I uh, I boil my fo- frozen berries. 
but and then I refreeze them, which sounds what? yeah, yeah. Isn't that, and and Don's actually doing some some research on this, um, but I, I and this has to do with like outbreaks of a long time ago. Um, and when my kids were little, I open up frozen. And if I'm going to uh, just eat those berries like in a smoothie, I um, cook them up, and boil them first, and then refreeze them just to take care of anything that might be there. You which you seems- open them you open them up. Yeah. You what do you do with them next? I, bo- I boil them. I put them. Uh, so wh- how I usually do it is I put it into a Tupperware container and mm-hmm. I put it in the microwave, which does okay. not give us a lot of even heat, but I do a lot of stirring. Mm-hmm. And then in that Tupperware container, when it's done, and I use a thermometer to check what temperature it gets to, um, I'll get it up over two hundred and twelve degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I uh, take that Tupperware container and I drop it right back in the freezer, and then I scoop those berries out when I need them. And at that point, you have more of a berry, a berry puree. Uh, yeah, like a berry slurry. Yeah. Berry, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this is mixed frozen berries, or you buy, you do individual. I, I do. I buy mix. Yeah. Um, I'm a uh, strawberry, blueberry. Um, I have to have at least those those two, but sometimes I get the the blackberry. Um, oh, uh, cla- classic, mix. classic in the smoothie. So you're, so you microwave them to two, 212 degrees. Yep. This is blowing my mind. And this might be overkill. And is this the thing that will pr- not make me sick if I eat frozen berries now? Well, there's some, yeah, there's some sort of outbreak, right? Well, there's there's no. a bunch of recalls going yeah. on that are super. This was one of the ones that that Don and I had in our list this week. Um, it, so what F what uh, FDA is doing, and Don and I have lots of good friends at the Food and Drug Administration, um, and what they've been what they really do. Um, annually is they start to look at foods that have made people sick in the past. And then they try to get a better sense of how much contamination might be there and what's contaminating it. Um, And then try to figure out whether it's domestic product or if it's imported, getting as many different like pieces of information as they can. And so right now, um, and and really over the last three or four months, I think there's been a, um, it's called a sampling assignment on frozen berries. And so FDA has taken, and I I can't remember exactly what the number of of, uh, samples are, but it's in, it's probably in the hundreds right now. Yeah. 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 uh, from uh, various different sources, maybe some of them are at grocery stores. Uh, many of them will be at import uh, stations um, uh, uh, at the border. Uh, some will be at um, processing plants, and they're just looking for viruses. That's what this year's focus is. Can we find norovirus and can we find hepatitis A um, in berries? And and so it's proactive, right? Like there's no illnesses. Um, they're, they're not working backwards from a bunch of people got sick from eating berries. In this case, they're just looking at what's out there in a snapshot today. And so there's been a bunch of recalls um, over the last couple of weeks linked to positive samples found from this sampling uh, assignment. And, uh, and so if, if as, as soon as the, the federal government knows, hey, there, we have a positive for hepatitis A in this frozen berry bag, um, the, it, it's prudent, I guess, the, for the industry to then um, d- conduct a recall. Uh, because hey, there might there may be a risk, but it's different from what we typically see in um, in outbreaks because you know often we we have like actual illnesses that that we can look at. So here it's kind of like a um, it's it's a 
it's not even really a, I don't know. Is it a theoretical risk, Don? It's a risk. It's just, well, a, we just don't, can't categorize it, I guess. And, and we, Ben and I can't talk too much about this. I mean, we've got friends. We, so uh, we're, we're, Ben, Ben and I are, are, are straight shooters, uh, respected on, on both sides. <laughs> both right? sides. So we, so we work for FDA. We, we have colleagues at FDA. We do work for FDA colleagues in the food industry do work for the food industry. And in this particular case, we're actually working with some of our colleagues in the food industry and some of our academic colleagues to help the industry craft a response to what FDA is doing to help FDA do their sampling assignment in a better way, in a way that, <clears throat> not to say don't do it, but let's do it in a way where we'll actually learn more, we'll actually give more useful information to the industry so that they can make the appropriate uh, corrective actions, right? And so, then, and also, Dr. Yeah, Don, what I'm, hear, what I'm hearing, I understand you're working for Big Bear, you can't really give me the, you can't really give me the, the truth here, but just tell me, just, just tell me, Here's the deal. If it's not safe for me to eat berries, just give me some sort of signal. Like, say something respectful about the FDA. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, Max. No food is safe, right? But but you have to eat, right? So at berries, berries were at the same level of safety that they were before FDA started this surveillance. But now that they're doing this surveillance, we now know more information. But what we want to do is to make sure that when the FDA does what they're doing, that the results are actually meaningful. And there's been some critique, you know, again, with, again, with people that Ben and I have talked to who are smarter about this than we are, um, of the sampling methodology and the, the, the specific microbiological methods that are being used by the FDA. So there's some critique of that. There's some critique of the way that they're collecting the samples. Um, and so we, what we want, we all want food, we all want safe food, but sometimes the FDA and the industry disagree on how to get there. And so a part of our job as academics is to try to help everybody do a better job and, and, to, and to facilitate that. So, so again, I would say Max Berries are good for you. Keep eating berries. If you're worried about pathogens and, and viral pathogens in particular, heating them to boiling is good. You probably don't even need to go as high as 212. Part of the problem is we don't have good data on to know exactly how hard, how hot you need to get it. But, you know, he, yeah, he, certainly heating it to boiling is going to do a whole lot to, to minimize your risk, and that's a good thing. Uh, what we don't want people to do is to stop eating berries because they're good, right? They're, they're, Dr. They're, Don, what you're, saying good is, and yeah. what, what you're saying is sometimes when an industry and its regulatory body love each other very much, <laughs> exactly, you know, they get together and they do a regulatory capture. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. And, um, yeah, that's yeah, exactly what I do. I'm for for me. I haven't changed what I do with berries at all. Like if that if that matters. Like I don't. I'm, I haven't stopped eating berries. I've looked to see if I've had any recalled products. I haven't. Um, I just assume, and this is you know one of the things that, that Don mentioned. I assume that there's some small percentage of all the food that we eat that has a contaminant in it. Has some sort of a foodborne pathogen. Sometimes when it's like. Uh, fresh produce, it's like one or one to two percent of the stuff that I'm going to eat in a year has a pathogen in it, and and that's always that risk is is always there. I don't know what that percentage is when it comes to berries, but it's probably in that same same range. And so how I handle that in my home is I cook them up before, boil them, and then uh, refreeze them. So I so I've got a control measure, but it hasn't changed really hasn't changed my my berry purchasing habits because I got this other step that I do. Dr. Don, what you what you were saying, you know, about uh, some small percentage of food is is always going to uh, uh, be unsafe, but you still have to eat. It got me thinking about. I'd like to share something with you guys. Can okay. I put it in the um, in Skype here if I click open conversation? So I'm I'm about to share with you one of the greatest links on the internet. Okay. <laughs> okay. Are you guys aware of the product Soylent? 
Oh, yes. yes. Okay. So there's a subreddit. It's r slash Soylent, where the Soylent users discuss their experiences with Soylent, oh, and they gosh. talk about the merits of the Soylent lifestyle. Oh, my. Because these are the people who have decided that they don't actually need to eat. <laughs> Finally figured out why Soylent is giving me crypto. So what diarrhea. I've done here is I've made a little page for you that searches for the phrase diarrhea on our on r slash soylent. And this is your gift to us. I want you to enjoy this <laughs> as much as I have. You gave me a treat. You did it. Yeah. It's very fun. I mean, just the headlines I think really oh, boy. Yeah. This guy's got some sort of some sort of vitamin deficiency and he's losing his hair. <laughs> this guy says day, day three imprisoned in the bathroom. Oh, oh man. How about, I guess it's, it's showing up moldy for people and they're drinking it. Oh, wow. Uh, this is pretty awesome. This is, this is great. Uh, yeah. Soylent's, uh, Soylent's got some, some good stuff. One was it, it wasn't Soylent. There was something else. Or maybe they changed the formulation of Soylent, and that led to some yep. some issues. It yep. was Soylent, right? The, yep, that was it was it. A, a different like algae that they were using, or or yep. sea foam, or something. Uh, has anyone else experienced almost instant diarrhea after drinking Soylent 2.0? <laughs> At first, it had no effect on me, but now every morning, almost as soon as I drink one, I rush to the bathroom. Twenty comments, people of everyone agreeing. Oh my gosh, oh. Soylent as a weight loss aid. Okay, oh. here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lactose intolerant, which doesn't help with this. I ordered 2.0 pre-made bottles of original and nectar and don't mind them. At first, I was getting diarrhea, loose stool with about an hour of consumption, but it seems to be tapering off. Uh, does anyone use Soylent to watch their caloric intake? <laughs> oh, man. I've been on 80% Soylent for the last month and a half. I love it, except for one thing, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> I found that I'm unable to eat much else now. Anytime I eat a full-size meal, I have really bad abdominal pain and diarrhea within an hour. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, here we go. This is here's a uh, the most ambitious crossover uh, since Soylent and, and uh, expiration dates. Is it safe to consume 1.5 following expiration date, uh, and how long after? Is it safe at all to consume 1.6? I don't know. Oh, man. There you go. I had some 1.5 that expired about three months ago. I had to end up tossing it. It smelled fine dry. It even smelled okay when shaken. But eventually, particularly as I got halfway down in the glass, it started to smell a hint of that rancid smell. 1.5 gets. I tried it a few times. It was pretty consistent. Ended up throwing the remaining stuff out. No health issues for me, though, that I know of. Oh, man. It's quite, so quite, a, quite a lifestyle to commit boy. to, huh? Yes, that yeah. is quite something. Hey, so I, I wanted to talk about uh, uh, an outbreak uh, and recall that actually impacted me. And Ben, I would be curious to hear your thoughts oh. and Max, you as well. Yeah. And this is the King Arthur flower recall. Um, we we use King Arthur flower in my house. But what, what my wife does is when she gets the flower is she immediately takes it out of the bag and dumps it into a Tupperware container for, for long-term storage. And of course, if, you, if you're impacted by this recall, um, you need to know what the lot numbers are. And, and we couldn't figure it out. Unfortunately, we, we eventually realized that we didn't have to throw out any of our flour because she buys the 10-pound bags and the recall is only the 5-pound bags. But I'm wondering, uh, were either of you impacted by this? No. I mean, we, uh, we, we don't buy uh, King Arthur flour. We buy other flour. But I have a similar process where we don't have bags of flour at all. We just have a big um, Tupperware container of, of flour. Um, and I don't know, Max, if you'd heard about this, but there's this one is, is a little bit different from the berries because this is actual illnesses um, linked to um, 
uh, linked to uh, the uh, the products. Mm. So, and flour is like one of the ones where, all right, so you asked earlier on about things that I do differently. I don't eat cake batter or cookie dough that I make at home at all anymore, and I used to eat it a lot. Like I used to, that's, that and fried food is pretty much my, my staple. Um, but because of, uh, a, you know, a bunch of outbreaks that have happened um, in the past eh, 10 years linked to flour and then me like investigating a little bit as I try to communicate what happens with consumers about, well, how does flour, how do we get flour and it's not heat treated and we don't always know um, much about what the microbiological um, uh, situation is with it. So, yeah, I, I, I avoid raw flour products now. Yeah, we we uh, my uh, uh, my uh, partner has uh, celiac disease, so we're oh. we're we're out of the flour storage business in our house. And I'll show you guys this. You guys might like this um, just as home cooks. We've really gotten into this site called nuts.com. Oh yeah. And they do and they do all uh, they do all. I mean, we we do all their gluten free flours, but in general, I found them to be a, a really great source for like. Um, alternative flours, like nuts, like any sort of baking sort of stuff. And it's like, a, you know, they'll, they'll deliver to you and it's by the pound. Oh, very good. Yeah. So I know I, I haven't, some... and I can report that I haven't gotten uh, violently ill from anything <laughs> that I've eaten here as far as I know. <laughs> Speaking of getting violently ill, have you ever tried Soylent? I have. Yeah, I've tried Soylent and it was, um, so I tried the older formulation where you had to um, scoop the powder into, into water and mix it up. And I found it to be uh, really lumpy and it just, it was like one of those like, it was almost like, um, like um, corn. Uh, what is it? Like cornstarch? Like it just mm -hmm. would not take into the water. Like I had a lot of, yep. and then it was just this sort of lumpy, upsetting batter that I was choking <laughs> down, and it did not. It did not <laughs> make me terrible. feel. It did not make me feel good at all. Cool. You, well, th thanks for sharing this on nuts.com. So I know we have folks on the podcast who do uh, suffer from celiac as well, and and yeah, this is this is a great recommendation. So thanks. So yep. they do they do chia stuff, right? So they yeah, I see some like chia seeds. There we did have um, chia flour was linked to a couple outbreaks a few years ago. So it's not just a wheat uh, situation. Not to I don't want to I don't want to scare you. No, <clears throat> let me let me. Okay, I have a, a question about flour. Maybe this also applies to the idea of like a, a tomato paste or something. So it, it's got how do I? This is a oh, I don't know how to ask this. Like so, part of the deal when you're doing flour is it's processed, and you have a lot of flour all mixing together. Yeah. Right. And so the microbiological risk would increase just because you have this huge volume of things coming together. So like if I were to eat like one tomato, I would be at less risk than tomato paste, which is like a, a blend of many tomatoes, right? Is yeah. that a thing? Well, I mean, yeah. So let, let's talk about eggs for a minute. Okay. So <clears throat> eggs, eggs have a low risk of having salmonella. And so if you eat one egg, you have a certain risk. Now, if you have one bad egg, and 11 good eggs, and you mix all of those eggs together, and then let's say you make like a Caesar salad, salad dressing that's not going to be cooked, that one egg has now contaminated those other 12 eggs or other 11 eggs, and now you've spread the contamination throughout all of that salad dressing. And so the potential of that one egg is now more than, it's not just going to make one person sick, it's going to make multiple people sick, right? And so so that that logic, that statistical logic holds holds true. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Like, it, like, well, I remember one time I went, uh, uh, long story, but I was uh, at uh, America's Test Kitchen and they were doing something with um, hamburgers. And one of the, and this was back behind the scenes. So it was not, uh, it was in between filming or whatever. And the crew came in to eat these uh, burgers that they were making. And one of the guys said, hey, you didn't get that meat 
ground at the grocery store, did you? And the and the other guy was like, oh, God, no. And he was like, oh, good. I don't want to like take my, my life in my own hands here. And that, that really made an impression on me because they clearly knew from their own testing that meat ground at the grocery store was much less safe than meat ground at your own home. Well, you know, and I, I, I got into I got into a discussion with uh, Chef Kenji on Twitter about this, and uh, it did not end well. I had had a f- few drinks, and I was, you know, waving my big <laughs> waving my big PhD around. He was all he over was, Twitter. Was, well, you know, you know, you're supposed to speak softly and carry a big PhD. <laughs> yeah. um, but but I'm happy to report uh, that we did have a very nice interaction more recently, and now he follows me on Twitter. So thumbs up. But but you know, I am. Not sure that the science is supportive of that statement. Now, again, I can't. I I have to, you know, Google and, and do a little bit of research to find those papers. I'm not convinced that that is in fact true. That that store ground beef is is uh, more or less risky than let's say beef you grind at home. I mean, it's certainly the risk is different, right? Because. <clears throat> If you buy a contaminated piece of meat and you grind it in your home, well, then that's contaminated versus a piece of meat that is, is you know, or a, a grinder that has one contaminated piece of meat and then has had several non-contaminated pieces run through it. It, it gets into probability and distribution and, and doses, and then it has to do with, well, how are you going to cook that? You know, I mean, it's, so it's it, it's a little it's a little more nuanced and complicated than all meat that's grounded in a grocery store is risky. And and I would I, I would make the case that it's the meat ground in a grocery store is less risky because there's a regulatory framework around it. Someone who's grinding meat in a grocery store has to follow um, like federal steps on how to make sure that they're doing that safely, and they also are. Um, there's not like they're not subject to to a testing regime all the time, but um, they, they are. Someone could come out and sample it where if I buy a really nice like ribeye um, and, and I want to you know, somehow like bastardize it and turn that into ground, ground meat in my home, um, I, there, there aren't the same level of focus on the contamination rate on the outside of that ribeye as there is on the grinding and the ground beef in a grocery store. Does that make sense, Max? Like, like there's, it's a step that's missing. And even if I'm like, if I if I buy ground beef that's not been ground at a grocery store that was ground at a processing plant, it's an even higher standard, um, you know, required testing. There's got to be an inspector that's there uh, overseeing it. They they have to like test all of those batches. Um, and we do see. I mean, it's not to say that we don't see outbreaks and, and recalls associated. We 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 do, but. There, that level of oversight and focus isn't there to that ribeye that I get in my home and then grind. Mm. I, I follow the logic, but assuming my I do correctly sort of clean and sanitize my home grinder, it still seems like it would be lower risk than having the grocery store do it. Well, it's not the grinder that's the issue. It's the piece of meat. So it's the piece of meat. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So it's the if you, you you don't you don't know and I don't know and you know none of us know whether there's E. coli on the outside of that ribeye. Um, and, and my, my assumption is always that there is, that there's some, there's some pathogen there. Um, so, so if I was really, really, and this is something that we talked to, uh, um, beef, beef jerky, uh, Benjamin about Dan Benjamin, uh, <laughs> uh, that's what he's known in our, in our circle as, um, but if I was really, really worried about it, I would sear the outside of it. 
I'd kill all the um, the bacteria that's that's there, all the pathogens there. Then I would trim that outside off with a clean knife, and then I'd grind the inside of that that piece of meat. Which again sounds like overkill, but if I so, really wanted to do it, that's how just, I would do it. Safely. Or sous vide it, right? I mean, or sous vide is the logical you're, answer. You're, yeah. you're saying that my so my logic though is, I mean, <clears throat> so let's say that there's a hundred uh, uh, cuts of beef in a, in a grocery store, and you know, let's just say one of them you know, has E. coli on the outside of it, right? It's all going to get ground together and get mixed into their into their ground beef product. And so if I were to just go in and buy a cut of beef and grind it myself, I have a one in a hundred chance of getting the one with E. coli. But if I buy the one that's ground and mixed, it's, it's increasing, you know, I, I'm basically like, I would rather play the lottery of just buying one piece of meat than meat that's been mixed together in a big batch. Yeah. Um, the thing that I think is missing though, is the, the piece that's going to be ground there. Someone is there testing it because it's destined for grinding where no one's there testing your piece of meat that you're taking home. Cause they don't know you're going to grind it. We assume that you're going to cook it like a steak or like a roast where if there's, if a pathogen's there and it's, and I don't know if it's one in a hundred is the right number. It might be, um, one in 10. It might be like, I don't know, whatever it is, but, but that, that cut of meat that you have, um, isn't destined to, like no one knows that it's going to be ground. So we treat it differently because we think you're going to cook it on the outside and reduce your risk. But as soon as you grind it, the stuff that, um, that is on the outside goes on the inside and we're not paying attention to the same way that if someone in a grocery store is going to grind it, that meat, we know that that tram is going to go to grinding. So we're testing it to make sure that there aren't pathogens in it. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not about the grinding. It's about the meat. Okay. Which it's I, not about the grinding. It's about the meat. That's yeah. <laughs> show title. Uh, all right. I, I have more. I can keep going all day. Oh, I got more go, questions go, go. for you we're, guys. We're going okay, nowhere. So, so you guys mentioned uh, our friend, uh, friend of the show, uh, uh, beef jerky, Dan Benjamin. Now I've been playing a little bit with the food dehydrator and I, I've, I've been yes. making some beef, some beef jerky. Now um, I would, to me, it seems similar on the surface to sous vide, right? In that you have a lower temperature for a longer period of time, but it's, it's basically just sitting there. What, what is the, is there microbiological risk? Are there things I need to be doing to, to mitigate the microbiological risk there? Yeah. So we, we've, we've talked about this and I, I still have it on my list of things to do to actually go into the lab and do some research on this. So the trick, the trick with beef jerky is that, so we know, we know that if you, if, Dry microorganisms like salmonella and E. coli that are dry are much more resistant to inactivation by heat. So the trick with beef jerky is to have the first part of the process, the first part of the dehydration process, be high temperature and high humidity. Once you get the, 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 the bacteria that are there killed under that high humidity environment, then you're kind of safe no matter what you do in terms of dehydration. Then it's just a matter of time and moisture, and you, so then you want to move the moisture level down and then dehydrate it. The risk is if you do too much dehydration before you do too much high temperature, then um, you'll, you'll basically make those bacteria more heat resistant because they're more dry. So, so either sous vide the meat first and then you can do whatever you want, or if you're going to cook it you know, right in the dehydrator, high temperature, high humidity first, and then followed by lower humidity and whatever temperature you care to follow. And, and sous vide is, is I, I mean, I know I've heard you guys talk about it on the show before, but, but do you guys cook with sous vide at home? Yeah. 
Ben does. Yeah. I, I don't yet, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do. Um, and probably for the last, uh, I don't know, 18 months or so, I've, uh, we've gotten pretty good at it. We, I do a lot of training for um, health inspectors on sous vide because it's kind of a new technology in, I mean, relatively new in restaurants. And so I, I spent a lot of time um, here in North Carolina and then across the U.S. teaching people about it. And as I was teaching them about it, um, and sort of here are the safety parameters to think about, and here's how you do risk. We would do this demonstration, and we'd cook like you know a whole bunch of different steak or chicken um, sous vide. And so I was doing it like weekly for a while, and I was like, damn, I think we should. I'm just gonna do this at home. So yeah, we we started. I you know I bought an immersion circulator and just a cheap one. Like I mean, I don't have a. Um, a super, you know, fancy one. We use a fancy commercial grade one in our training, but the difference between the two is is relatively um, small. And yeah, I, I cook I, I cook quite a bit um, with it. Sometimes we have a vacuum sealer, um, a couple of them, one here in, in my in my lab, but also um, one at home that we use uh, too. So yeah, it's uh, it's a step. I like it. I like. Um, I'm I'm all about uh, um, sous vide. Okay. Any? Do you do any? Do you, do you have one of those fancy, um, um, you know, resealers? You know, the the bag yeah. sucker. Yeah, we got a bag sucker. What do you? What do you? Do you have a recommendation there? Or any any thoughts about that? Um. So there's, I get one. Like I I, I do see a difference between, um, <clears throat> like Mer, Merlin shared like his method of like putting a straw in a Ziploc bag and like sucking. Yeah, that's air what out. I do. I, I, yeah. I just I just man up and I suck that, <laughs> suck out the air from the chicken bag by, with my lips. Yeah. So I find a difference. It doesn't work as well um, as uh, just a vacuum sealer. And so the one that we have is like I got at Costco or something. Like yeah. Um, and then the, we we have one here that I have on um, in my lab that's like a commercial one, and they work about the same. So I would just get like the the cheapo ones. It is like I find the like I, I tried the sucking it out with a straw, and I couldn't get enough air out to make the heat even enough, and so it it, it made a made a difference to to actually vacuum seal it. Okay. Uh, well, the main the main topic that I had that I had text so so last week I texted Dr. Don about a, a news article you know an article in the news and Dr. Don asked me if I wanted to come on and talk about it. Would this Dr. Don is this an appropriate time to talk about pork? Yeah, go for it. So can I? Should we do? Should we do a little follow? up? We'll do by Friday style follow up. So uh, this is uh, some follow up from the Washington Post. So I, this is an older story from I believe. Uh, well, let me take a look here. I think this is from April, but there's some. It's back in the news uh, this week because of some pending. I think some maybe some pending House legislation. But uh, I'll just read this Washington Post story. So Washington Post. The Trump administration plans to shift much of the power and responsibility for food safety inspections and hog plants to the pork industry as early as May, cutting the number of federal inspectors on slaughter lines and some plants by about 40 percent and replacing them with plant employees. Under the proposed new inspection system, the responsibility for identifying diseased and contaminated pork would be shared with plant employees whose training would be at the discretion of plant owners. There would be no limits on slaughter line speeds. These proposals, part of the administration's broader efforts to reduce regulations, come as the federal government is under fire for delegating some of its aircraft safety oversight responsibilities to Boeing, which developed the 737 MAX jets involved in two fatal crashes over the past six months. Um, 
And then it goes on to talk um, uh, to some experts at the USDA who had previously not sort of signed off on this. And now I know, you know, I've talked to Dr. Don a, a couple times about this, and, and he's kind of made a case to me that there's, well, I, I shouldn't summarize it. I mean, I, I'm curious to, to hear your, your guys' thoughts on this. And um, and also, if it, it, I'll see if I can find the more recent article of what the, the current battle is. So, Ben, do you want to take the first sure. uh, crack at this? Yeah, so um, one of the things that um, that I think being in the food safety world that I didn't know before I kind of got into it was around, like, inspection and limitation of inspections. And um, the, the caveat to all the stuff that I'm going to say is inspectors are awesome and are necessary and it's in regulatory oversight i mean i've already talked about why why i think that stuff really matters and and is good the the nuance of of inspection though is we started a long long time ago um and you know this is like the the true like history of everything in food safety it all started with um either nasa and sending people to space or the jungle and um meat inspection um in uh you know 100 years ago and um where inspection started was like looking visibly for diseased animals are people in because eating diseased animals is a bad idea. Like don't like the, the they're more likely to carry pathogens. And so we could have this visual inspection of like, is that a diseased pork or a, a pig? Is that a diseased cow? Is it we we've seen stuff over the last couple of decades on processing downer cows, like cows that are sick, that can't walk. You know, we know that that increases increases risk. And I think that um the I guess the modernization of inspection has moved us to look at what are the risks and are, and can we visually see things that are are indicators of of food safety and the the issue is we really we can't always like I can't an inspector can't see whether a a a, a pig that comes through a processing facility has more salmonella than one. Um, than the next one, they 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 can see the general health and disease aspect, but it does it's not the full story. And so I think the 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 big discussion around speeding up the pork inspection lines has been to modernize this and sort of recognize that oh well we're already doing something that that is a little bit archaic and it's it, it gives us one one check, but it's not the entire system. And I think the discussion has been really focused on that, right? Like if we if it's too fast for inspectors to see, and it probably already is too fast for an inspector to see things, um, you know, uh, fully and in, in, in compared to what it was 50 years ago. But if it was too fast, then then we, you know, the the entire um, food safety system is 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 incorrect. And I, I think it's it's only one one piece of it, and and it is based on. Um, like a looking at risk and, and and trying to model okay what if we what if we change things in this way could we put resources elsewhere to look for salmonella or trichinosis or or whatever and and what about the so so the part that that <clears throat> concerns me is not i guess like moving towards a more modern like microbiological screening approach but which it sounds like is you're saying is would be good for the industry and for safety yeah and consumers, but, yeah. And consu- yeah, yeah, and everyone involved. But the, it's the part where they're going to have the industry self-police. Yeah. And well, so let's let's. So this came up in in a course that uh, we're teaching. I'm teaching on campus today. Um. So, 
like Max, do you know how, if you're if you if you're a food company and you're inspected by FDA, do you know how often FDA inspectors get to that plant? Like how often they visit? Well, I assume it's like you know the Gordon Ramsay show where he comes in and he starts opening up your Tupperware and he goes, "It's Mohammed." <laughs> well, so the, the answer the answer is that FDA inspects most food processing plants every one or every two years, right? So that means that most of the time, those FDA-regulated plants are operating without an inspector. When the inspector comes, they do a walkthrough, they look at the food safety records, et cetera, et cetera. That's in contrast to USDA, which for historical reasons has essentially in many plants has continuous inspection. There's always USDA inspectors on site. And the reasons why are historical. They're not based on food safety. Um, you know, maybe, you know, the USDA was in part triggered by Upton Sinclair's The Jungle and and, and all of that. But the, the, the point is, is that at least if you look at the FDA side, the inspectors are not there continuously. And so the industry is self-policing, right? And so the question is, what sh- should the inspectors be doing when they're there? And what they should be doing is checking up on what the plant has been doing. Now, yeah, w- should we have more this, FDA Dr. inspectors? Dr. Don, this is the same logic of, uh, you know, I, uh, w- this is like saying, like, well, I've already had a little bit of the uh, of the uh, rotten tomato paste. I might as well polish off the jar, right? It's like, you're saying, like, you're saying, like, they already have, like, a substandard, yeah, like, uh, uh, really inspection like, procedure, so we might as well just pull it off. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, So... Uh, <laughs> Well, and and I'll let me, let me add something to that because Don, you know, Don's talking about the tomato paste processor with FDA, and pork is a USDA inspection. But you know, something that that the three of us are probably much more familiar with is just eating out at restaurants, and in certain jurisdictions, mine, yep. you know, my, here in North Carolina, if I go to a restaurant, it's going to be inspected uh, four times a year. If I go to South Carolina, it's going to be inspected once or twice a year. Is the same same restaurant chain, same you know, same Chipotle. Is it any safer to eat in South Carolina? Probably not. I mean, and it's such a small portion of the operating time of that business that that all like forever and and you know this it is the i i see the the log, logic in the in the argument but forever we we've, we've operated under um what happens when the inspector isn't there is is really much more important to food safety than when they are there and and that's just that you know that's just the way that we that our food system has has evolved and it's you know why our food food is so cheap um or one of the reasons why because there isn't this sort of extra regulatory um focus on it but it's it i mean that was something that i didn't know until i was in food safety i really i really had a um I really just thought like all foods were inspected. Someone looked at it every time I opened something or ate it, or I was at a restaurant, someone, there was some sort of oversight. And uh, I guess, you know, dirty little secret is it's not. And the good news is the industry has a lot of incentive to not make people sick because they get sued left and right. If, if they are, um, if they, if they mess up. Well, and pro- so- Professor Chapman, I could also argue that Boeing has a strong interest in inspecting their airplanes and not, and, and, you know, oh, right. it's the same logic of, right. Oh, well, these airlines have every incentive not to have their planes crash because it would be a fiasco for them. But, you know, here we are. Right, right, right. No, I, I mean, I, yep. I, I get it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We're, 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 we, we. We, 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 I think we agree with you, Max. Um, mm-hmm. The question is, how do we, how do we get to something that's safer, right? How do we, how do we move forward from where we are? How does Boeing well, I'm moving, I'm moving to, I'm going to the Soylent. 
You've got 100% soil. I've got, I've got this figured out. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, let, I think that the FDA is probably at the soylent manufacturer just once or twice a year or once every two years. So um, what you need is soylent with, like, constant oversight. You need USDA-made soylent. You need pork soylent. Yeah. Well, and, what, and, what, and what about soylent with dietary supplements, right? If it's all made from dietary supplements, those things aren't regulated at all. <laughs> right, right. Uh the 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 regulatory stuff i mean and this is one of the things that i think don and i do a bunch of we talk about it on the podcast but we also do a lot of work with with the industry about uh, there are certainly bad actors out there and and we we had a um an outbreak of um of salmonella linked to uh, peanut butter products uh, about a decade ago um, from a company called the Peanut Corporation of America, which is a really like generic name. But they were selling peanut butter products and by products like paste that was going into like Kellogg's um, granola bars. And, you know, they're selling hundreds and hundreds of products their paste was going into. And they, they were um, a, they were just a bad actor like that. And I mean, people went to jail. They, they knew that they had salmonella in some of their products and they shipped it anyway. And, and that contrasted with, with other places that haven't really made bad, haven't been paying attention and have been caught, you know, uh, led to, to outbreaks. I think it's, I think it's different. I think we we'll, I don't know where Boeing lies in the, in the bad actor uh, standpoint, but in the food industry, we certainly have bad actors and inspections probably not going to, not going to help it. Um, even if there was there was oversight sort of 100% of the time because people who are bad actors get her, get around it. Um, I, I think empowering the industry to do more and understand science and, and risk is has helped us. I think that food's probably safe, as safe as it's ever been, um, but we still have lots and lots of illnesses. Ben, do we have the safest food supply in the world here in the United States? I, I don't know. I don't know. This is like one of our <laughs> ongoing – people like to say this, the, the politicians um, and industry. We, Don and I hear it at meetings all the time about how safe the food supply is, and it's the safest in, uh, on the planet, and it's like immeasurable. You just don't – like you can't – no one knows. Like how would, what are the metrics um, behind that? Um, but – but we're there are definitely more resources that go into food safety than than ever before. We're finding outbreaks, smaller outbreaks, more of them, but smaller outbreaks um, than we were 20 years ago. And, but we still have a lot of people that get sick. I mean, if the it, we haven't, we definitely haven't solved it. Um, so yeah, I, I wish I wish we had the food safety record of the airline industry, or we I wish we had the safety record of the airline it, industry. It, it's also know? it's also fairly new that you have um, this like um, uh, more like like homogenized food production and consumption, right? Like historically people had more like local just food chains, like you were eating more food that was grown locally. So this like feels like it's a pretty modern, you know, what in the last like hundred years or something right. that everyone's eating the same processed foods, you know, worldwide. And well, so and, the, it's all, the, and it's, yeah. And it's become more so, right? Like we've gone from uh, chains of production that are U.S. only to now we have ingredients that are sourced worldwide. I mean, we really do have a global food supply. And I think we're still wrapping our hands around what that means or our heads around what that means from a regulatory perspective. And again, FDA is acutely aware. If you look at the new rules that are proposed under or that are in existence under Food Safety Modernization Act, uh, there's issues about foreign suppliers. There's a whole separate section of the rules dedicated to foreign supplier verification. So so the FDA realizes that, you know, we do have uh, ingredients, components coming into the U.S. food supply from overseas, and we've got to put in a regulatory structure that to deal specifically with that. So we're, you know, uh, the problem is the industry keeps innovating, right? I mean, look at 
um, you know, things like uh, Amazon and Instacart and Grubhub and, and all of these, uh, you know, all these Blue Apron, that's all new. And we've, we're still struggling with how do we get a handle on all of that regulatorily? Because that doesn't fit in any of the, our nice existing food safety regulation boxes. And so figuring out how to how to deal with that has is, is been something that, that, you know, I've been working on for the last couple of years with, with folks in the industry and, and regulators as well. That's I don't like that. I don't trust those uh, Instacart people to buy spinach for me. Get a nice wet bag of spinach with all with all the, the mashed up the mashed up spinach pulled <laughs> at the bottom. Brown. Yeah, yeah. Get a nice get a nice wet bag of spinach. Hope you like that. Uh, let me ask. Okay, so with one final question on this pork thing. This is just me me speculating, but I'm, I'm you. Get, I don't actually know anything about this, but it seems like some of these changes to the. Um, USDA uh, inspection are going to be voluntary, so different producers will be able to sort of voluntarily submit to some USDA oversight. And, um, you know, I was sort of speculating, I, I, uh, Dr. John, I think I asked you this, but like, do, do you think there could be a potential for maybe that becomes a marketing thing? You know, like people put, you know, hormone free on their on their packaging or something like that. Maybe you'll see suppliers will start to put, you know, USDA inspected on their on their pork. Uh, well, and that that was always the thing with uh, with uh, the um, uh, which are the, which of the hot dogs company companies was it were inspected by were kosher so we're inspected by a higher authority or something right I mean yeah oh, I mean, well, you, you you've got I mean okay now we're actually in an area of my <laughs> domain of my expertise I am a graduate of Vienna Beef's Hot Dog University it's the nation's number one college of encased meats knowledge I hold a <laughs> I have a degree in the art of the cart. This is 100% real. And, I love uh, it. And I, yeah, I, Vienna Beef. Now uh, I, I'll go to the mat for Vienna Beef hot dogs. They're uh, it's a high quality, uh, high quality beef. It's all kosher, good product. It's all it's all real meat. It's not just the no you know, the, Yeah, it's not just the hooves and assholes. It's it's good stuff. You get brisket. <laughs> What you're yeah. saying is that you're in the pocket of real meat, real beef. Huh? Well, I've made, I've made a no, no. I'm not like you guys. I've made an educated decision. I, now this is a brand that I, I've, I'm very loyal to. I think they're doing great work at the Vienna Beef Corporation. There we go, Vienna Beef Chicago style hot dogs. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll give them a link here. Now, now I'll give you, I'll give you a little tip. I'll give you a little yeah. tip. The Vienna, if you guys ever go to a hot dog stand that's Vienna Beef, you, they, the Vienna Beef uh, has a, a Polish, a Polish sausage you can get. And now that's that's a bigger hot dog. That's like a basically it's like a four to one. And now some places Polish sausage means half pork, half beef. And I don't I personally do not love the taste of a of a, a beef and pork mixed uh, dog. But the Vienna beef brand Polish sausage is 100 percent kosher, high quality beef. And it's just it's just bigger and it's seasoned better. So it's just a more adult hot dog. It's got a little more garlic, a little more seasoning. It's very good. Highly recommend it. You want a natural casing Vienna beef Polish sausage. <laughs> I'm, I will check this out I, now. All right, I, I, I've just learned really from listening to Do by Friday about jardinera sauce. Am I pronouncing Jardinera. That jardinera. Yeah, jardinera. Yeah. And so, do you put do do you put jardinera on a on a hot dog on a Vienna beef? Oh, I have, I have, and I will. I mean, that's not a sort of a canonical Chicago style hot dog, and I don't okay. want anyone to think that I might not know what I'm talking about or what a Chicago style <laughs> hot dog is. Yeah, like, but I you have done revoke... it. It's very, it's, it's very good. I'll, I'll absolutely I'll have a polar sausage with some jardinera on there. I I, uh, I ordered. Uh, we we have a Chicago style uh, uh, pizza place uh, here in Raleigh, um, and it's uh, it, yeah. Well, so it's called uh, it's called Nancy's, and I think they're actually a Chicago chain. They're Nancy's. they're moving here. I don't. Do you know Nancy's? Anyway, they didn't have any jardinera sauce when I asked for it. They didn't know what I was talking about. All right, I'm going like, to send you you offline, Professor Chapman. Off, send me offline your address, and I'm I'm going to send you some <laughs> jardinera because it's okay. a wonderful. It's a wonderful. It's a really special condiment. It's very I'm, good. 
I want, yeah, I want some, and and I and I really do, like. Do you I like went, spicy? You like yeah, spicy? Yeah, I like I like spicy. I'm gonna get you one with a nice sealed lid that's uh, not not dented out. You know, <laughs> no bulging can. No, I'll, I'll take, find, I'll take find, care of you. Just find one from your fridge, Max, that you're done <laughs> using. And just send it to him. That's fine. Just, just wrap it in a Ziploc bag, and <laughs> you just scrape you just scrape that mold right off the top. You get right in. There. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh man. All right. Well, now I'm looking at the hot dog university course, and I think I'd probably qualify for this. There was quite uh, a bit of information about food safety. It was actually very food safety uh, forward. Very, it's woke. It's woke food safety. Yeah. No, it, <laughs> it's about uh, – it's for people who want to open a hot dog cart, and it's a course you can take. It's like a crash course on, um, I don't know, like keeping your yeah. keeping your dogs at, at uh, uh, safe temperature and, and keeping the cold chain and all that good stuff. So this is the kind of stuff – you know, just going back about talking about um, – Chipotle and inspection, that's the kind of stuff that makes me want to buy food from a company, right? Like from a, from a food safety standpoint, right? Like, like just, you, you're not even, you're, you're recognizing not in the you know nerdy world of food safety that, Hey, these guys are talking about food safety. Um, that that's a good culture. That's the kind of thing that I want to, like, I want to hear from my, my hot dog seller. Um, yeah. and so that's, that's super cool. Like, then that's the, uh, some of the research that, you know, that Don and I have been involved in some of the work that, that I've done in the past when we talk to industry folks and, and this is where that, you know, that, that weird like self-policing and inspection stuff falls apart it, and, and bad actors. I did some work, um, where I interviewed, um, uh, uh, like small independent restaurants in the Midwest, uh, about what they thought about food safety, what they thought about inspection. Did it matter that they were inspected? Um, and these big, like sort of long in-depth interviews. And one of the one of the uh, in interviews that stuck with me, you know, ten years later, is, was an operator who said, um, you know, I asked him about like, you know, do you ever worry about making people sick with your business? And he's like, what do I care about that for? Like a little bit of diarrhea, what do I owe them? Some toilet paper? And then he like totally deflected and went on to like the next. He's like, whatever. What's your next question? And I was like, you are the type of person I do not want to buy food from. I really want to buy food from someone who is like constantly worried that they're going to make me sick. And that they want to share, like, oh, here's what we're doing for food safety. Yeah, this stuff happens all the time. These are things that we worry about. Everybody who's involved in our company, you got to know this stuff. Like that kind of stuff is it makes me, um, uh, it makes me feel better about buying food from from them. But it, but someone who like totally just like dismisses it as ah, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm like, you know what? You don't have to downplay this stuff. Um, you, you really should be paying attention to it. And if you're not, then I don't want to. I don't want to buy your hot dogs. Well, and well, that goes back to the to the point about inspectors, right? Like that's not something that you can inspect into a facility, right? right? And so, to me, that's cre and again, you know, food safety culture is a buzzword, and it just I don't I mean it's I think it's a lot of nonsense, for, frankly. But when I hear Ben, when I hear you talk about people that really get it, then like yeah, that's what I want. Those are the people that I want making my food. Now, whether you can create food safety culture, whether food safety culture is a real thing or not, I don't know. But but that's the thing that I that I want in the companies that make my food. I want them to care about it and to and to want to do better and, and to know what the right things are and then do those right things. So I'm sorry, Max, I cut you oh, off. Oh, no, I, I just want, can I, t I want to take a, a minute. This feels like a good opportunity for me to just, can I just say something nice about the podcast for a second? Do you, do you want to, you want to promote something, Max? <laughs> no, I don't. I want to promote your show. I just want to say, I just, I, I just was thinking about this show and how excited I really have been looking forward to this all week and I'm, and I'm so excited to, to be on the show and I just wanted to take a minute and say a nice thing about it. And, you know, I, so I first heard about uh, food safety talk from Merlin 
and he had <clears throat> maybe mentioned on another one of his shows or something that he was going to come on as a guest. Or I don't remember the first time I heard about it, but I remember the, I heard I, when he said he was going on a po- an hour long podcast about food safety. <laughs> I was like, what, what the, the fuck? fuck? I was like, who <laughs> listens to this? I was like, this is yeah. crazy. And then I and then of course I was I had to listen to it because right. it was so strange. And I, I probably have listened to every episode since that that point. And uh, you know I I heard this I, I heard this uh, years ago I heard this great story from uh, Shepard. Ferry, do you guys know him? He's like the he did the Obama Hope poster, and he's yeah, kind of a street. Yeah. He's a street artist, uh, so he's really famous for like inventing. He did Obey, you know, and he put this stuff all over cities in the U.S. I heard an interview with him where he said you know, he was used to be a, a competitive uh, skateboard uh, uh, guy, and he said when he was um, he would be flying on a plane into like a skateboarding competition. He would look out the window of the plane. He would look down at the city and he realized one day he could see, he could see the city as everyone else sees it. Like the city's still there, but he also saw this new layer on top of the city, which was all the ways that the city could be used for skateboarding. Right. So you look down and you see an empty pool and you're like, Oh, that's a cool place to skateboard. And it was like, he suddenly had access to this like secret, uh, uh, the secret layer of information that the general public just, just couldn't even see, you know, like it's like they live, you know, you, you, you put on the glasses and you can just all of a sudden see this new layer of information. And he said, that's for him. That was where his interest in like in um, street art came from was he saw the city in terms of an, a new set of possibilities that other people weren't really looking at. And I really feel like, like listening to food safety talk and, and learning, I mean, everything, pretty much everything I know about microbiology, I, I think I've learned about from, from hearing you guys talk about it. And I, and I really do feel like it's a, like it's such it's so cool it's the thing i'm so excited to talk to people about it's made me feel more confident like cooking for other people like in my home kitchen and it's this whole other way of like looking at the world you, you know the, seeing the world and and under understanding the the microbiological sort of layer of it is it's everywhere in your life and it's such a fun and interesting thing to think think about and i and i really just wanted to thank you guys for for giving that gift to me and i also think you guys are just doing such a good service here, making this stuff accessible and funny and fun to listen to. And um, it, it's really something that I think everyone in science should be doing is this is like true science communication of like you're extending a hand out to people who who have never heard about this stuff before in their life and making it very welcoming for them. Well, th- thank you, Max. I, I've heard you say nice things about the podcast before, and um, I never get tired of it. It's really, it really means so much to me that, that you, that, that you've, found us and that you talk about us so nicely. And so I just want to say thanks. And, and thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm not trying to wrap this up, I just, but I just want to say, since it's the appropriate time, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm, I'm, a, huge, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of the other podcasts that uh, you have due by Friday, and it just makes me laugh, literally laugh out loud and sometimes almost crash my car um, when I listen, <laughs> when I listen uh, on my way to or from work. And I, I just want to thank you for, for doing that and, and, for, and for, again, for coming on the podcast today. So it's it's, it's really it's a pleasure to have you here today yeah absolutely and i just want to echo you know thanks for such kind words i think don and i um we we stumbled into this because we just like talking to each other and then we started recording it and realized that every once in a while someone might want to listen to us talk to each other and it is um you know podcasting is such a such a cool um such a cool medium to to connect with people and 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 I I had no I had no concept about what what we had the potential to do and every time we you know a listener says something to us or someone interacts with us on on Twitter um, it's like a it's like a gift that we get back because um, our you know our job is to talk about this stuff and and to make it accessible and I didn't I didn't even know like in 
I, when you do it, you don't often know that you're even really doing it or, or, or have an impact. So just, you know, you sharing that, um, those kind words with us, it really, really makes a, a, a difference. So, so thanks again. Thanks again for coming on. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me. So what do, what do we got, Don? I think that's a show. I kind of feel like the show is over. I feel I think bad. So. Yeah, we I'm might sorry. Have to, I didn't I mean to. Talking. I didn't mean to end it. I just wanted to oh. say something nice. No, oh. thank you. No. Okay. Hey, so so Max, for those, yeah. and we didn't we didn't properly introduce you. We just started talking. So for those people that maybe know about our podcast but don't know who you are, how would you how would you how how would you explain who you are to the people that, that are listening I, I don't to know you that for the I, first I don't time? Know that I oh, you don't want well, to? I'm, okay. No, no, I'm a, I'm a hot dog enthusiast. Uh, I'm a graduate <laughs> of Vienna Beef Hot Dog University. <laughs> <laughs> is this is you this your card tricks, right? You, you like I do card tricks. tricks. I'm an amateur magician. No, I'm. I don't know. I'm a. I'm a game designer from. I don't have anything to do with science or anything. I just. I just. Uh, I like. I, I like to cook and I listen to food safety talk. Normal listener. Yeah, you're. That's right. This is the first. You're the first real listener just to jump on the on the show. With yeah, us. I'm a sponge changing uh, enthusiast. <laughs> yeah. A jardinera peddler. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, good. Well, we'll. Uh, um, we'll link to uh, to Dubai Friday uh, in uh, in our show notes. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Uh... Well, I just, Max, Max, I, I've been meaning to ask you this. So I have yes. to, I, I don't, I, I would send you a, a photo, but it will take too long. I am sitting in my office and I am looking at a couple of cylinders. Uh, okay. One is green, one is pink. And across the top, it says original prongles. Whoa! I, nice. I want you to tell me the story as much as you can yeah. about Prongles and how. So Max, you're you're literally a food manufacturer, right? Well, we're, you we're, not, we're not. We white labeled. We white labeled. <laughs> okay, but but tell me, like, tell me, how did you? What was I? I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's a great, clever thing, and we'll link to the we'll link to something on the internet about it. But how did you? Once you decided you wanted to do this, how did you go out and figure out how to? How can we white label basically what's a Pringles ripoff? <laughs> Yes. So I, I can tell you the whole. Do you can I, do you have time for the whole? Oh, yes. Do you want the yeah. whole yes. thing? Yes. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, let me. I'm actually opening up. Here we go. So okay. So basically, this came about where um, when when we start first. Uh, so I make a game called uh, Cards Against Humanity. It's like a comedy party game, and uh, the game is now distributed in Target nationwide. And uh, tar the Target Corporation, when we were uh, launching the game there. Um, in I guess this would have been in 2015 or 2016, um, they asked us to make a uh, um, like a pack of cards that were exclusive to Target, and so you know we're we're a little reluctant to do any sort of like co-marketing or branded you know we just don't do that kind of stuff generally with cards. So we said well we'll do it, but only under the condition that we can kind of make fun of Target. And they said we don't really care as long as you do an exclusive uh, pack for Target. So our research process was like we went to Target and we just sort of walked around with a notepad and wrote down all the silly funny things at Target. And uh, so like just looking through the list here, we had like uh, I'm, I'm like I just opened up the doc, which I haven't seen in, in years, but it's like making minimum wage gift cards, a gift that is worse than money. Um <laughs> <laughs> going going to Target with a gun and getting all of their candy and throwing an awesome party. <laughs> uh, three bags of kitty litter, a box of Chardonnay, and a romance novel. <laughs> uh, the Minotaur at the center of Target. Uh, the right toothbrush cup for my lifestyle. I mean, you get the gist here. We're just sort of making right, fun right. of all the weird, yeah. Scented candles that transport me to a simpler time. <laughs> Subsisting on tiny pizzas. 
<laughs> um, so anyway, we at some point we were just walking through the food aisles and we saw Pringles and we started writing. But so it started with we wrote the card a Pringle, and I don't know why it just made us giggle. Like I st- I'm just I'm like giggling at it now. Like it's a, pr- a Pringle, it's so funny. Like one Pringle. Like I don't know why. I just I can't put my finger on it. It's just funny. And then we wrote, and then we just started doing Pringles jokes. So we have blood Pringles. How fun it is to eat Pringles. A Pringles can that screams when you open it. A Pringles can filled with the screams of the dam. So we just we like couldn't stop. <laughs> Extra screaming dill Pringles. <laughs> <laughs> a whole new Pringles flavor. Like we just wrote fifty of these, and we just we just it was one of those things of like we just couldn't stop. We were just in a fit. We couldn't stop laughing at it. And I think from there it sort of planted the seed uh, of that we wanted to do something that not really making fun of Pringles. Just it just it seemed so funny. I don't know why. It's just it's something so comical about. Maybe it's just the name, the sound. It's a funny sound. I don't know. So. uh you know, so then come up, we usually on Black Friday, we do some sort of um, non non advertising sort of stunt, like something kind of goofy on Black Friday. That's just sort of it's not really intended as marketing. It's more of just like a goofy, just a goof that we do uh, to to make Black Friday a little less horrible, I guess, and miserable. And so we came up with this idea of like we should just make a knockoff of Pringles called Prongles and just sell it. And so we developed I think if you go to original prongles.com yeah yeah it's yeah it's sure. it's still, yeah once you pop that's great snack them stack them put them in your mouth <laughs> original prongles where is it yeah it's original prongles.com yeah that's it and there's a really terrible song that we had someone write if you try to turn the <laughs> try to turn the volume slider down on the song it just gets louder <laughs> Um, I have to turn the sound off. Jesus. So, yeah, so we just had a lot of fun. We, we actually worked with a marketing agency in Chicago that does big food brands. And we were like, if, if you guys were going to launch this as a big food brand, like, what would you do? And, and we did it. Um, and yeah, it's just a parody. So the process was basically, it actually was quite hard to find someone to make these mostly because they were worried about getting sued by Pringles because of the name and the overall branding and everything. And uh, we found a company called the good crisp company. And they're like, I believe they're, I think they're like a Malaysian chip company yeah, or something. Malaysia, right. Yep. And they agreed to, they agreed to white label and, um, yeah, and that, that's that. So basically, um, the way our, our, we worked it, well, I mean, we called our lawyers and we were like, we want to do this. And the first thing they said was, please don't. And then, <laughs> but you're and like, then, I'm still doing it. Yeah. Well, we were like, yeah, but it's really funny. So could you figure out a way? So what we figured out was we would tell target or excuse me, we would tell uh, Pringles, which is as Pringles craft brand foods, I believe. I think so. I'm looking it up right now. It's a uh, craft. I, I don't know why they don't say Kellogg. No, that's who it started from. Diamond foods. No. Procter and Gamble. I don't know. It's one of them. It's one of the big food companies. So we were like, okay, well, we'll notify them in advance, but only 24 hours before the nationwide rollout. And tar- oh, surprisingly, by the way, when we went to Target and we were like, hey, can we do this? Can we make a knockoff Pringles called Prongles and sell it with a huge pop-up display with a pig on it in your store? Target was like, yeah, sure. And we were like, wait, really? And they were like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> we were like, are you? Are you sh-? We kept yeah. all, we kept contacting, emailing them, being like, are you sure about this? Like, yeah, yeah, like it's not Pringles. We're actually selling something called Prongles. Like, yeah, yeah they were like, yeah, we don't care. Like. It was like I can't believe that Target let us get away with like none of we were all in disbelief that they would let us do it, but they they did. We kept expecting someone to like realize it and tell us that we couldn't, and they never did. So we did a national rollout, and uh, we just told like you know Kraft or whoever was the brand the owner. 
like uh, 24 hours in advance, which because it's Black Friday was Thanksgiving. So they were all out of the <laughs> office. And, <laughs> That's great. and then they, they contacted us and they were like, please stop doing this. And we were like, well, we're, it was one day only anyway. So it's it's effectively stopped. And we asked them, we were like, would you guys write us a cease and desist letter? Because that would be a funnier. And, be great. Yeah, yeah. and they said, and they said, no. And oh, they said, they said, well, we bastard. saw how you guys went, went after Tr- Donald Trump and made fun of Donald Trump. And we don't want you to make fun of Pringles the same way. And we were like, why would we make fun of Pringles the same way we made fun of Donald Trump? <laughs> Is there something we don't know? <laughs> Like it was such a weird. They were like, "We don't want to be savage like you savaged you know, Donald Trump." Like, That's amazing. Okay. Yeah, it's like really got nothing to do with Pringles, but okay, sure. Yeah. So anyway, so it just sort of we just sort of wound. It, we just it was a one day sort of launch, and and it was funny and sort of absurd, and that was that. Oh, cool. Awesome. Well, it's uh, like I said, they have a place of honor uh, on the shelves in my office because yeah, I would. Still, I mean, I think those are those are probably laugh. still good to eat. I think all the spider eggs have probably hatched by now. <laughs> oh no, I, I ate them. They're empty. Okay. <laughs> just just the containers. I mean, I think they're probably uh, within the expiration date. It should, you know, it should we, be did, fine. we did. We did. It did. Occur, I will say, like at various points of doing this, because we were working on it for probably a year or more to. You know, I think people have these. You know, we do these ideas that are sometimes really really dumb or. They have a, you know, a slacker kind of a, a a a vibe, and I think people have this thing of like, oh, they probably thought of this like the week before and just came up with it and just did it, and like it, people have no concept of like, I mean, we probably were talking about this for two years, and then it was probably uh, probably a year, probably fifteen months of work from uh, actually beginning to like design the can, source the chips, figure out the distribution, yeah. like do the deal yeah. with Target, like it, it's not spontaneous, like right. it's it's unbelievable. I mean, we're planning stuff right now for like twenty twenty one, right? Like it's so. Yeah. It's so meticulous, like doing doing this kind of thing. But uh, we definitely did have a lot of discussions during it. Of like, we were like, "What if people get really sick? Or like, are we liable for this? Like, how does it work?" And I, I don't think we ever figured it out. We just did it. No one ever stopped us. So, yeah. Well, and I, I know enough about food manufacturing to know like that was not a tri- trivial thing. Like just just right. the, at, just finding the company, getting them to figure out how to make it, to get the formulation, to do the the shape, to do to do it. That's not that's food technology. That's not easy, right? You don't just just start doing that like the week before. So yeah, yeah. it's uh it was it was it was legitimately it was very challenging. And we also we obviously wanted to do like a hundred flavors and we had to very quickly rule that out. That like, oh, that's <laughs> that's just definitely not we had all these crazy like we want well you can see here the vote for the next Prongles flavor. We had like tacos and burritos, whole fish, America. Yeah. I wonder if I have Am I keeping you guys too long? Oh, no, 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 not at all. I'm looking up if I have any of the, the. We came up with such a crazy list of flavors we wanted to do. I'm searching for Prongles Taco. Here it is, Prongles Brainstorming. Let's see what's in here. Oh, <laughs> uh, so flavors that we had considered for. <laughs> so this is what we went to the chip company and we were like, can you make these? So we had uh, enormous pizza, onions and cream, which we did make, whole fish, veggie burger, just mustard, <laughs> half salad, potato, powdered cucumber, jambalaya, seafood gumbo, oil flavored, baseball, mega supreme, footlong, spicy mint, Bernie Sanders, volcano lava, pickles everywhere, gazpacho, daughter, loud party, America, Latino flavor and birthday cake. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and and I so think they came back. I think they came back to us and they were like, "Please provide more information." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could do salt and potato and yeah, onions exactly. and cream. <laughs> they were like, "They were like, what is Bernie Sanders flavor?" 
<laughs> and you're like, well, it's like daughter, but like with a hint of ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> we also, I just see, I'm looking at this document and it's fully insane. I mean, this is the other thing is like, we, we picked a direction and we went with it and it was, you know, that's the one you see, but I'm looking at all this other thing and I just see a bullet point here and it just says a cartoon of Bernie Sanders as our mascot. And it says, quote, 99% fat free. <laughs> 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 this is awesome yeah <sighs> well well what else what else? do you got do you have any other uh questions for us max we're here uh oh you know i um um uh, you know i text uh i text dr don probably uh, more than is uh, appropriate <laughs> with my with my various food safety musings and questions so Maybe we can we can get a whole uh, 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 food safety uh, Max's food safety questions uh, text thread going, and I'll oh, just perfect. give you some fodder for the podcast. Awesome, we will take and, that. And I realized too, Max, you you had you had texted me um, uh, a lo- lovely picture of you and and your partner Veronica from Disney World, and you said um, I want to know if anyone has ever done a study about how disgusting yes. it is here. Did I did I ever answer that question? I don't think no. I'm actually it's a great. We, so we went, and I will say actually we neither of us got sick, and it was a fine experience. But like it, my instinct was just looking at Disney World. It's all buffets and finger food and, and, you know, sort of questionable bathrooms. And like, isn't it a basically a giant cruise ship? Like, isn't it just a huge norovirus like incubator? Well, so I don't know if this is going to make you feel better or worse, but the guy that used to run food safety for all of Disney became the guy that ran food safety for all of Walmart. And then he's now the guy that's running food safety for all of FDA. Is this isn't Frank Giannis, is it? Yeah, it's Frank Frank Giannis. Yeah, it's downtown Frank Giannis. (laughs) Downtown Frank. (laughs) Yeah. And Frank, Frank is a real. He's very serious and very passionate about food safety. And and, he's got a a very angular head. Well, that's what I wanted—a food safety expert. Like, I feel like if you threw like a coke can at his head, it would just deflect off. <laughs> it may not even make it. He's like, like liquid termin. He's like liquid terminator. He can't be stopped. He's actually very short, so if you threw a coke can, it would probably go over his head. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, well, and and a lot of the stuff. So when we were talking about like food safety culture and things that we look in in uh, businesses, a lot of those ideas. Uh, came from stuff that Frank worked on when when he's at Disney, um, and so my my the maybe it was the first time I went to Disney not as a kid um, was at a food safety meeting, uh, the big food safety nerd show, uh, International Association for Food Protection. It was at uh, Disney in in Florida, and um, my uh, now uh, now wife, then girlfriend, we uh, arrived and took a shuttle bus from the hotel over to like get lunch. Um, and all I remember as soon as we got off the shuttle bus is everything smelled like diapers. Like every to- every every um, like trash can that we walked by just had this like diaper smell, and I was like, oh, this is terrible. And it was July, and it was hot hot diapers. Um, but uh, turns out they do a pretty good job on on food safety. But I mean, I doesn't think- it doesn't it seem like just on the surface that it seems like they would just be it would just be riddled with norovirus for the same reason as like a cruise ship is right. Yeah, lots of hands touching railings. Yeah, in, and, international yeah. travelers, people eating yep. and 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 pooping and just rubbing their hands. Lots of kids running around. 
Yeah, and I don't yeah, know. I, I guess the only difference with with a cruise ship is if you're sick on a cruise ship, there's really nowhere for you to go. Whereas if you get sick at Disney, you're probably going back to your hotel room, and that's going to minimize the risk um, because it's just a, a larger geographical area over which to smear the virus. So um, that that I mean, but you and you raise a good point. Like, why is there not a norovirus risk on places where people gather other than cruise ships? Um, but and I, I think it's just got to be. Like we say, you know, in toxicology, there's a, there's another phrase that says, or in, in uh, EPA speak, it's it's dilution is the solution to pollution, right? So if we if we just dilute out the norovirus enough over a big enough area, the risk goes down. So that's my only you know gut guess as to why. Yeah, well, and they, I mean, getting uh, heavily into uh, the world of uh, anti-vaccinations, uh, they had a couple of measles uh, outbreaks at Disney. Um, you know, because, because of the stuff that you're talking about, Max, like there's just a lot of people in a small, uh, small area, a lot of, um, you know, human, human to human contact as people are bumping into each other in lines and stuff. So, um, but I, I mean, I think from, from our, from my experience interacting with folks that are still at Disney doing food safety, they are the type of place that's like, oh no, no, no. We worry about this stuff every day. Like we are deathly afraid of having, um, an outbreak. We don't, we don't want the, first of all, the publicity issue of like, you know, happiest place on earth and, and come here and get norovirus. But they, so that drives them, um, a lot, but also they, they've been really innovative in, in, you know, looking at suppliers and disease control measures. Um, I don't know what they do for cleaning and sanitizing and how that, that differs. And they, you know, they obviously run a cruise ship as well. And I think that cruise ship's been, has been linked. I don't know. I'll look it up now. But I think they're they they may have had norovirus on a cruise ship. Well, you know, and this comes back to this idea of food safety culture. And I still remember to this day being at Disney with Frank for some meeting or other, and somebody we were out in walking the hallways of some hotel or something, and somebody vomited. And to watch Frank like start to freak out, and and he was like, okay, there's vomit there. I'm gonna put a towel down. I'm gonna get somebody. And he was just like, he was like right, I, like he was in the middle of something else. He's like, no, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna make sure that somebody takes care of this moment. I mean, that that kind of like laser-like focus and intensity, um, it, it's a little scary, but I mean, that's the guy that I want looking out for my food safety, right? Because he's he really he really knows how important it is that that that, that be dealt with. Did you guys read that Michael Lewis book, The Fifth Risk? Yes. Yeah. So so after you mentioned it, I think when I was on uh, Dubai Friday, um, Ben went and read it. I have not read it yet. I bought it. It's pretty it's pretty good, right? It is. It's really good. It's I just I mean, I like the way that it's that it's set up. Um, the food safety stuff was was pretty fascinating. Um, I did a, like a little uh, I read it for Don, gave him a little book report on it. Um, and we know like some of the players in it, which made it even more interesting. It's like, oh, man. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just a fascinating, like a fascinating look on, um, okay, let's, let's look at the, let's look at the administration, how they address things. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was great. The uh, national weather service stuff too was, was pretty mind blowing to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I read a book I was telling Don last time I read a book called outbreak. Um, there aren't a whole lot of food safety specific books and it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't fantastic. Um, and so there's, there's room for more like talking about things that we do, um, in in that, in that space. There was one book that you might be interested in. Max is a book called poisoned. 
Um, and it was about an outbreak that happened in the early 90s linked to jack-in-the-box restaurants. And sort of, it's not so much the science around it, it's just the fallout and how the food industry has changed. And, and it, there's a, a, you know, a central focus around one character who's a lawyer um, who uh, represented some families in that outbreak and then since then has only done food safety civil litigation. Um, a guy named uh, Bill Marler who we had on the podcast a few years ago. Um, and it's it's a pretty like I think it's a well written book and it's kind of fascinating to see the like oh there's a there's a whole story of like what happens not just when people get sick but how how that impacts families and what the industry did and, and all that kind of stuff. This is uh, poisoned how a crime busting prosecutor turned his medical mystery into a crusade for environmental victims. Uh, maybe let me see. I uh, know Alan... no, it's. Alan no, it's, no, it's poisoned the true story of the deadly E. coli outbreak that changed the way Americans eat uh, by Jeff Benedict. That's it. Oh, wow. My microbiology is much more boring than true crime. Look at this. <laughs> I want the other one. <laughs> Get them both. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I don't know where. Uh, what, what else? Uh, what else you got, Don? I think that's a show, Ben. I think that's a show. Max, this has been just a absolute treat like i said at the start i want to treat i want to treat it's been a treat <laughs> thanks guys i had i had a lot of fun this was great very satisfying to get to ask all of my all my questions well and and you know by all means max you know how to reach us you know keep uh, keep sending us questions we'll keep talking about them on the podcast uh you know that's what that's why we're here thanks guys yeah thanks max talk to you soon talk soon bye, bye. So was that a, was that a good oh treat gosh. for you, Ben? That was amazing. That was so good. Holy, I had no idea, and then I was like, "It's Max." That was great. Yeah. So he we, he was he was texting uh, in the in the super secret uh, Dubai Friday Microbiology Boys channel, and I was like, you know, why don't you just come on? Why, I mean, I'll take a shot, right? Like we yeah. had we had a couple of recent guests. We're way behind on listener feedback, but shoot, this is a chance to get Max on the podcast, and he's just. Yeah, anyway, he's just he's just the he's just a great listener and he's just a good good guy and I knew it would be a lot of fun. So Oh no, that was yeah. That, yeah, that was awesome. And it's um, uh it's fun. 
and, and so I, I, there are a lot of good titles. The only one that I actually captured was Hot Diapers. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It may be Hot Diapers. All right. Well, um, I will. Uh, I, I've got a whole bunch of show note links, which I okay. will uh, put in the Dropbox for you. Perfect. And uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on this one. I've got a. Uh, um, I'll see if I can get this up in the next uh, half hour here. And just get it, get her done. Sounds good. Uh, awesome. Uh, what... Oh, we should schedule the next one. Yeah. Yeah, we should. We should. Oh, that was so cool. I was. I like that you sprung it on me too. I wasn't like all psyched out. Well, I was I did, like, I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't, well, first of all, good I wasn't job. like he's a busy guy, right? right. I might come up, and so I didn't want to like promise anything. But on the other hand, I'd be like, well, you know, it'd be more fun just to surprise you, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure, that, and I knew you would roll with it, and I knew he would, he would, he would carry most of it because he would have tons of good questions. And anyway, he was just, he was a great guest. Oh, that was so cool. Okay, so two weeks from today is a little bit of a problem. Uh, in the morning, in the afternoon, I th- might be able to, um, we, we've got some visitors coming to our kitchens, uh, on the first and the second, but we should be done by like one o'clock. So I could do afternoon on the second. Um, All right, I could... so I'm, I'm, I'm coming back from Ithaca that day. We're doing oh, okay. our 4th of July weekend early. Um, but I am wide open on the third, but Me when too. do you start with, your... oh, third is good. Well, oh, awesome. The third, yeah, the third is good. So while well, wide open, except I'm getting a haircut at one forty five. <laughs> Wow. Yep. You schedule your haircuts really far in advance. And, and, you know, seven weeks, seven weeks uh, from wow. the last time. We got a, I got a whole a, system. So I. Wow. Uh, this, we, we got, wait, put, yeah. put a, put a, put a pin in this. We need to talk about your haircut system. Yeah. Right. So, so my haircut system is, is this, I. <laughs> no, no, no. I, save it for the show. Oh, save it for the, but it's in the show. It's in the show. We'll put it, we'll put it on the list for next time. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm very, uh, for, I've not here, here's the, the precede version of this. Uh, I used to not be very, uh, regimented with my haircuts and now I am. Okay. Cause I mm-hmm. went a long time and I just complained to Danny about how my hair was getting long and I couldn't get in for a haircut at the place that I go to. Um, oh, and she said, schedule, schedule it. Don't be an idiot. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. I, now I schedule it, and, but I'll give you the whole, that's, that's the, that's the shortened version. It's, it's much more involved than that. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. So, so you name your t- time on the third. So I could really do, I'll be at home. I think, um, the kids are at camp all week. I could like, do you want to do something like 10 o'clock and per- 10 till perfect. Noon? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, Uh, that's 186, I think, isn't it? It is. All right. 10 till noon. Well, I'm glad. I'll tell you. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be on time and stuff. And I was. Um, I was. I didn't text you, and I didn't even see your text, but I was, like, sitting on, on the Skype. Um, with, you know, try, at least I think I was here at, like, one one oh one. It wasn't exactly one o'clock, but yeah, I'm well, and, and then it wasn't and Max was a tiny bit late, and then Perfect. I call, I called him, and then I called you, but then I forgot that I didn't, I shouldn't call you. I should actually, I need to add you to the call. So then, then, and then, and then, anyway, so it all worked out. But yeah, no. <laughs> oh, and did your did your audio work? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I okay. didn't look at. Let me look. What's call? Oh, you know what? My my oh, call recorder. Yeah, is now showing zero zero zero, but it was working before. God damn it! I hope we got a fucking show. I got it. No, no, I got. I got oh, you got it. Okay. Yeah, one thirty, one forty. I'm, I'm ticking All right. away. So cool. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll make sure. I'll let you know. I'll listen to it right now. Okay, awesome. All right, I'll, I'll put everything in the show notes in the Dropbox for you, and uh, we'll talk to you on the third. Awesome. That was so cool. All yeah. right. Talk to you. Bye. Bye. Bye.